Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Liberty and the Law, the podcast series that examines the critical elements of a strong legal defense in criminal cases. Join respected attorney James Dore for this lively discussion on the rights of criminal defendants and the important role defense attorneys play in our legal system. Criminal defense, of course, is the central theme of Liberty and the Law. And as we do each month here on the podcast, uh, we're going to discuss one of the uh, basic elements of a strong defense. Hi, everybody. This is Jim Mitchell. And uh, I'll be joined, as always, by Attorney James Dore of Lavelle Law, uh, with uh, highly regarded for his uh, professional work as a defense attorney. Uh, James brings a, a great deal of knowledge to our monthly visits and always helps guide us to a, a better understanding of uh, the criminal defense system. Now, today we're going to get into uh, some of the technical elements of building a defense as we discuss uh, pretrial motions with uh, Jim. So I'm looking forward to that. That should be a good primer for us. Uh, Jim, good afternoon. Welcome back to Liberty and the Law. Hey, thanks, Jim. It's great to be back on. I'm looking forward to today's topic. Yeah, I know, you know, in a vast majority of cases, at least I think what we've heard on other discussions, uh, you know, cases in the court system, most are settled before a trial begins, and, and that covers all types of court proceedings, not just criminal. Uh, and I imagine you have to proceed in your work as if every case would be tried. Um, you just have to go in with that assumption. We'll talk today about specific motions you can make and, and what some of them are. But in general terms, tell us a little bit in your preparation what, what the purpose of, a, of filing a, a pretrial motion might be. Sure, Jim. Well, getting to what you said, in, in preparing a case, uh, the defense attorney has to look at all the evidence that uh, the prosecutor has in their possession. It's part of analyzing the, the strengths and weaknesses of, of your individual case and how to formulate a, a, a trial strategy. Um, and in part of the process of, of doing that, uh, a pretrial motion uh, can be filed as simple as a motion for discovery, a uh, pretty, pretty standard motion to be filed, and that's basically putting the, the court and the prosecutor on notice that you are demanding as a defendant to see the evidence that they have against your your, your client. Mm-hmm. So that's a very basic pretrial motion. Now, in reviewing discovery, there may be other items that you're interested in seeing that haven't been disclosed or turned over by the prosecutor's office. So in that case, you'd be filing a motion for additional discovery, um, something along those lines, asking the court to order the state's attorney's office to turn over those items. And, and I know that um, the courts have very heavy caseloads, and, and a lot of trials, they kind of take a while to get really started before you, you enter a courtroom. When you start talking about pretrial motions, doing things in advance of the trial, is there a time sensitivity as to when you need to do these things? Uh, some motions uh, are usually held at the, at the start of a case, and they are time-sensitive. Um, for example, I know we discussed before a motion for substitution of judge. Um, a prosecutor can file that as well as a defense attorney. Uh, if, you, if that motion is filed within 10 days uh, when the, you know, the judge is assigned to the case, you can have a, subs- a judge substituted as a matter of right. You don't have to list the reason. You don't have to do it for cause. And that would happen at the start of the case. Um, once, once the matter has been in a courtroom for a while, you can't just file a motion and have the judge substituted unless you do it for based on cause, whereas it's, uh, alleging that the judge is showing some sort of prejudice in how the case is handled. Mm-hmm. Okay? 
Uh, another motion that we could hear at the beginning of the case would be to reduce the amount of the bond. Uh, see, somebody's incarcerated. Um, there's a high bond that the judge is requiring to be posted. A uh, defense attorney could go in, file a motion, uh, and ask that the bond amount be reduced uh, to amount that's more reasonable that the person can post and conceivably uh, they'll be released from jail pending the outcome of the case, and they can carry on their, their lives normally, continue working, going to school, supporting family, whatever. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a couple things. I want, two, two points that you brought up. I want to go back to each one. You, you mentioned uh, you know, the uh, motion to uh, substitute a judge and, and a time deadline there. Um, and that doesn't need to be done for cause if, or for any particular reason if, if done by a certain time. As, a, as an attorney who has to be in these courts on a regular basis, is there any risk you, you feel when you, if you were to make that motion in terms of not immediate but somewhere down the road having to face that judge again? Uh, well, that's the, the, the realities of it, the, the politics of that. If you file too many motions to substitute a certain judge, and then down the road you can't you can't get away from that judge. Well, you know, the judges yeah. are human too, so they make very some yeah. carryover effect. Uh, it's something to think about. Um, generally, when I file a motion to substitute a judge, it's because it is in my client's best interest, and I have to do that to protect my client. Um, if I face repercussions in front of that judge down the road, so be it. But if it's my client's best interest, I will file that motion. And, for example, um, say a judge is, is known to be harsher when it comes to sentencing uh, as opposed to another judge that the case could possibly be reassigned to. Well, I'm going to file that motion because it impacts my client in the time that he possibly could serve in jail. So I will mm-hmm. absolutely do that. Okay. Now, you talked also about the other thing I wanted to follow up on is, is the bond, uh, the amount of the bond that's set. Um, what were some of the factors that might influence a change in bond, and, and why you would uh, why you would make that motion? Uh, well, we, we would ask the judge to consider the defendant's uh, life in general. So the, the judge would look at uh, ties to the community, whether or not that defendant owns a home, uh, whether or not that defendant has children in a community, family in the community. Um, what kind of citizen are you? Are you working? Are you gainfully employed? Are, are you going to school? There's, simple, there's a lot that the judge is going to want to know um, how you conduct your day-to-day life. Also, the judge will look at criminal background. So if you have a long history of, of contacts with the criminal justice system, you're likely to face a higher bond than you would if it's your first offense. So the judge is looking for a kind of a snapshot of somebody's life um, in, in setting, that, setting that bond. What, what's appropriate to make sure that that person makes the court dates. Really, that's the purpose of bond, is to make sure the defendant is, is present in all the assigned court dates. Okay. Well, we're, um, we're, we're certainly having a great conversation here on, on Liberty and Law, as we do every month, uh, as we talk about different topics related to criminal defense. Uh, another great resource for that is uh, – uh, LavelleCriminalLaw.com, and you're going to find a, a number of in-depth articles, a collection of podcasts and videos, and other information that uh, can assist you in understanding criminal defense or serve as a resource should you or someone you know need to hire an attorney. Uh, James Dore has been working as a criminal defense attorney for more than two decades now. has been recognized by several leading groups for his work, so we always benefit by his presence here on the podcast. And as we return to the dialogue on, on pretrial motions, uh, we'll start to get here a little bit into more complex motions. And, and Jim, I guess a lot of that begins as you start to review the evidence, which you we mentioned earlier. 
Uh, last month or so, I think we spoke about Miranda rights. As you evaluate a case up front and start to gather information, is that one of the first areas you look at in terms of the execution of those? Sure. In fact, when I talk to my clients, you know, during initial interviews, one of the first things that pop up is Miranda. I wasn't read my Miranda right. Um, what does that mean? Um, really, what it comes down to with Miranda warnings and as it relates to pretrial motions, let's say um, person's brought in for questioning, they're in custody, and they've been asked a series of questions and ultimately admit to a crime. But it turns out that that person was never given their Miranda warnings, never advised that they could remain silent or have an attorney there to assist. Well, in a case like that, as a defense attorney, I would file a pretrial motion uh, asking that the court to suppress whatever statements were made by that defendant that the prosecutor intends to use against my client. So um, admission to a crime would be an obvious one. Uh, I would want that to be withheld because my client did not have proper warnings before the police decided to interrogate. Um, so, again, that's a pretrial motion that would require a hearing um, where a judge would look at the voluntariness of the statement and, and inquire, uh, we would inquire uh, as to whether or not Miranda was complied with. Um, in a case like that, a pretrial motion could be granted and it would, the statement itself would be uh, prohibited from being admitted in evidence. So the state could not use that admission at trial, and that could be very mm -hmm. important in the outcome of the case. Yeah. And, and as you start to gather the evidence uh, from the prosecution, um, tell me about a few of the other key areas that you'll start to look at that might impact your desire to, to uh, enter a, a pretrial motion of some sort. Sure. Well, um, like we just talked about, the motion to suppress uh, statements. Well, a lot of times I'm looking to suppress certain evidence that the prosecutor wants and needs in their case in chief. Um, if I can, uh, through my investigation, uh, determine that there was not probable cause for an arrest, uh, that a warrant was not obtained where one should have been, where statements were obtained in violation of Miranda, things like that, I'm going to file a motion to try to suppress that evidence. Um, in a lot of cases, uh, hinge on the fact that probable cause did not exist, did or did not exist for the arrest. Well, that would mm -hmm. be a pretrial motion. Where I'm asking the judge, based on the facts at the officer's disposal, was there, was there or was there not enough at hand in order to, to make the arrest? And again, it's a determination of probable cause. Um, circles back to got to file a motion on that one. If you want to, yeah. you want the judge to hear about uh, any sort of evidence and make a ruling on any evidence before trial starts, there has to be a pre-trial motion. There has to be a hearing, okay. and it has to be obviously brief submitted to the judge uh, to try to get that evidence suppressed. Yeah, and, f and from a technical perspective, I'm glad you mentioned that. I, I was wondering when when we talk about pretrial motions, is this something you submit in writing to the judge, or uh, do you just present an oral argument? What what is the process to get this initiated then? Ideally, there's a, a written motion filed and served on all the parties, uh, which contains the facts and also contains uh, case law supporting uh, the position of the moving party. Okay. And then what's, and the, what's the filed, process from there? Okay, sure. Uh, I filed a motion. Uh, the state's attorney's office would have a, an opportunity to review that motion and file a written response. Um, 
after that, after the briefs are all submitted, the judge would set a hearing date, and there would be live testimony um, by either party to the, to support their side of the case. So I could call even an arresting officer. I could call my client. That's call different people. Same thing. The the uh, the state attorney's office can call um, the people they need to sustain their burden in the in the motion process. And you mentioned earlier, because uh, we've only got a minute or two left here now, but um, uh, you mentioned the motion to substitute the judge. Uh, I know in the news sometimes we also hear about motions for a change of venue. Um, what, what's the difference there, and, and why would that approach be used? Right. Well, I think you just uh, outlined some of it there in your question. There, there's pretrial publicity. Uh, sometimes uh, there could be enough uh, publicity to where a jury pool is tainted. They can't give a fair ruling. Um, so in that case, a, a motion for a change of venue would, would be proper. Um, and again, a defense attorney could file that, or a defendant could file that, and the state's attorney could file that um, if they thought that they could not obtain uh, a fair jury or have a fair jury pool to work from or draw from. So um, again, a pretrial motion, if you think it, the process will be unfair to either side, really, but from my point of view, if the venue's uh, unfair to the defendant, I would file a motion uh, seeking a change of venue. Um, well, as usual, we've, we've used up our allocation of time for today, Jim, and I, I know I've always got more questions, uh, so I assume our listeners may as well. If, if they need some additional information, um, we mentioned LavelleCriminalLaw.com. Uh, how about if they want to reach out to you directly? How's it, what's the best way to get through to you? Sure. I could be reached. Uh, my direct line in my office is uh, 847 241 one seven nine eight. I can call me anytime. I'd be happy to answer any questions on this topic. Well, great, um, Jim Dore, always taking the time to be with us. We very much appreciate him being here, and uh, certainly look forward to future conversations. We'll let him get back to his work. It sounds as always that uh, there's quite a bit to be done in, in things that he just described and other activities as well. Um, He's got some great topics lined up for us as well. We've had some conversations. I think uh, you're going to enjoy hearing about those. So I certainly hope you'll make the effort to join us and continue listening to some of our uh, future episodes of Liberty and the Law. Thank you for listening to this edition of Liberty and the Law. To learn more about defendants' rights, call attorney James Dore at 847-705-7555 or visit LavelleCriminalLaw.com.